This is Adam Hill, the minister of the Word at Rochester Church of Christ. I always tell our church family, read your Bible. You'll be a better Christian. My prayer is that this Bible-based sermon will help you follow Christ more faithfully. Let's learn together as we study the Word today. Be seated, please. I am not Adam Hill. <laughs> Adam will not be here today. I believe he's with family in Atlanta, so we wish him well. It has been a while since I have had the opportunity to preach here, so for those of you who may not know me, let me introduce myself. My name is Patrick Mead. <laughs> Glad to be back. <laughs> I've changed a bit. Uh, it is good to be here, and I hope you did have a good Thanksgiving. We had a good Thanksgiving. Uh, our kitchen is being remodeled, so everything was torn up. We have no stove and no kitchen sink. Um, we had Thanksgiving in our unfinished basement, and uh, it was very nice. Um, it's amazing what you can do with a roaster oven, a microwave, and a single burner hot plate. <laughs> and with some decorations, and uh, it was very nice. We had a wonderful Thanksgiving, and hope you did too. I, I, just to begin, you know, preachers often start by saying, turn off your stupid cell phones, put them away, don't look at them, don't touch them, don't even think about them during the sermon. I want to do something a little bit different. Uh, you can put them on silent, that would be a nice thing, but I'd like for you to keep your cell phones out and keep them on, and especially you students and young adults, I'd like to ask you to do a couple of things. If during the course of the lesson this morning, if you hear something that connects with you or you feel is worthwhile, I want you to text that to a friend of yours who is not here or post it on some social media. And that way you'll be helping spread the word way beyond where we are right now to hundreds of people who are not present. And then later in my lesson, I'm going to ask you to take a picture of something. So have your phone out and have the camera ready. So when I tell you to take the picture, you can take the picture. Got it? Okay, very good. Have you ever come to one of those places in your life, kind of a crossroads where you have multiple paths that stretch out before you, and you're really not sure which one is going to be the best, and you struggle over that, and you ask God, what is your will? Maybe you've had times like that. Some of you may be having a time like that right now, where you're just at this crossroads and you can't discern which is going to be best, and the consequences are significant either way. Maybe you can identify with Emily, who, who has a secure job with good pay, but she has an opportunity to take a job heading a nonprofit organization. The pay will be a little less, the job won't be nearly as secure, and opportunities for advancement will be limited, but she'll be doing something that she feels passionate about. And as she weighs the options, she comes before God and says, God, what is your will? Or think about Matthew and Amanda, who've been trying unsuccessfully for several years to get pregnant. They've gone through several rounds of fertility treatments to no avail. 
and now they're at a decision point. Do they try more and even more expensive treatments or do they adopt? And, and, and if they adopt, should they adopt domestically or foreign? Should it be an open adoption? Should they consider an older child or maybe a child with handicaps? And they just fall on their knees and say, God, what is your will? We need to know your will. Or think of Rachel, who's been dating Brandon for almost a year. And things have gotten pretty serious, but lately they've been arguing quite a bit more than they used to. And, and, and Rachel wonders, is this just part of the development of a long-term relationship? Or is this a red flag that's telling me that I need to move on? And she cries out, God, what is your will? Those of us who are serious about our faith are, are constantly seeking God's will and asking him for his will and struggling with all kinds of dilemmas as we face choices in our lives. What is God's will? Now, I don't want to minimize some of those very real and very thorny dilemmas that people face. But I want to suggest to you that there are some places in Scripture that are very clear about what God's will is. And maybe if we start with those, we'll have a better foundation for discerning some of those very thorny issues that we face. And so this morning I want to deal with one of those very clear passages that talks about God's will. And I'd like to ask, it is our tradition here that we stand during the reading of God's word. If you can stand, if you're able. I'd like to share a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Where the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Dear God, as we are struggling to know your will in, in a variety of complex and difficult cir circumstances, we pray that you will remind us of the basics. Point us back to those things that we ought always to do. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in this passage that we just read, there are three things that we are told to do all the time. We are told that we always ought to rejoice, we always ought to pray, and we always ought to give thanks. And then it's summed up with a statement that says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I misread this for many years. I thought that that last phrase, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, just applied to the giving thanks part. I realize now that, that that's a package, that all three of those things are God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this morning, I'm going to talk about giving thanks in all circumstances, but I want you to understand that as I do that, that I'm using that as kind of an umbrella that covers the other two. So when I talk about giving thanks, I'm also talking about rejoicing always and praying without ceasing. So today we'll talk about giving thanks in all circumstances, which leads me to think that most of us consider Thanksgiving something that is circumstantial. If the circumstances are good, 
if we have good things that are happening to us and good things that are coming to us, then yes, let's be thankful. But if life is more difficult and there are things happening to us that are painful or difficult or challenging, well, we don't feel very thankful at that time and we tend not to give thanks. But this passage is telling us give thanks in all circumstances, which means that we need to learn how to give thanks even at times that we are not feeling particularly thankful. I remember hearing a speaker once who, who grew up in a Jewish home. As an adult, he came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, so he became a Christian. But he's talking about his Jewish heritage and, and how much he learned from his Jewish heritage. And he pointed specifically to 1 Thessalonians 5.18, and he says, My Jewish mother taught me how to give thanks in all circumstances, because no matter what happened in our family life, she always found something to be thankful for. And then he recalled the time that he came home from school with a D on his report card. And his mother took a look at the report card and she scowled and she frowned and she was silent for a while. And then she looked up and she said, Well, I am thankful for one thing. I am thankful that your dear, sweet grandmother, God rest her soul, did not live long enough to see what a failure her grandson had become. Well, give thanks in all circumstances. And actually, I want to tell you that that Jewish mother stands in a long line of tradition of giving thanks among the Jews. There was a tradition that goes back before the time of Jesus of pronouncing a number of blessings during the day. And it goes back to a time when the rabbis began to take very seriously the teaching that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. Uh, in, in that passage, Moses is reminding the Israelites that God has, has brought them into a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, You shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. The instruction was that because of what God has done bringing you into this land, you are to be thankful and you are to make that thankful. Uh, you put that, thank, that thanks in words. You are to bless the Lord your God. And the reason for that thankfulness is made clear a few verses later when Moses says, now here's the alternative, here's the warning of what can happen. Verse 17, he says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You see, he's, he's pointing out something that I think is, is pretty normal and natural for us, and that is that when good things are happening, we tend to want to take credit for that. Good things have happened to me because I am smart. Good things have happened to me because I have worked hard. Good things have happened to me because I had a better strategy than the people around me. Good things are happening to me because of me. And the more we become centered on me and what I have done, the less we become centered on God. And so the rabbis said, we don't want that to happen. And they came up with a, well, they, I guess a spiritual discipline of giving of thanks that involved pronouncing blessings toward God multiple times a day, even dozens of, of times a day. 
Now, these blessings that are pronounced, we, we tend to think of a blessing as something good that God gives to us. But in this context, a blessing is a, an expression of praise and thanks that we give back to God in response to all the blessings that he's given us. And, and a good example is this is found in Psalm 103 that, that begins with, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And so the rabbis began to develop this formula that was used multiple times a day that went like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam which I'm sure all of you know means in Hebrew, blessed are you, Lord our God, the King of the universe. And then they would finish it in various ways. Uh, there was a morning routine when, when a Jewish individual would wake up to the crow of the rooster, he or she would say, blessed are you, Lord our God, the King of the universe, who has given the rooster understanding to distinguish night from day. And then when you opened your eyes, you would say, blessed are you, Lord our God, the king of the universe, who opens the eyes of the blind. And then would follow the morning blessing, blessed are you, Lord our God, the king of the universe, who has returned my soul to me with compassion. And then as you were getting dressed, you would say, blessed are you, Lord our God, the king of the universe, who clothes the naked. And that's just the beginning of the day. As the day went on, there would be blessings spoken for food, blessings for seeing beautiful flowers, blessings for meeting a, a friend, blessings for hearing a word of encouragement, blessings for sending rain to, to, to bless the crops, blessings for giving sailors the wisdom to navigate the seas, and on and on and on in the literature. There are dozens of pages written of, of blessings to cover all kinds of circumstances. That emphasis is seen in, in the show Fiddler on the Roof where there's a scene where the word spreads through the little Jewish village that there is a new arrival at the home of Motel the tailor and his wife Zeitel. And oh, they're excited. Everyone leaves what they're doing. They leave their shops. They leave their homes. They're chatting among themselves. There's a new arrival at the house of Motel and Zeitel. Come, there's a new arrival at the house of Motel and Zeitel. And they all gather around and, and you hear the, the excited chatter, chatter as they're saying Mazel Tov and oh, lovely and adorable and cute and beautiful. And finally, someone who's in the back of the crowd and can't see the new arrival asks, what is it? And the answer comes back, it's a sewing machine. <laughs> and just about that time, the rabbi comes in and someone says, rabbi, is there a blessing for a sewing machine? And the rabbi says, there is a blessing for everything. Well, that was the mindset. There is a blessing for everything. In fact, even in times of grief and sorrow and loss and pain, the Jews would offer up blessings to God. The rabbis taught that if we are to love God with all our hearts, we cannot just love him with the part of our heart that's happy, but also with the parts that are sad and angry and sorrowful and wounded. And so... We recall the Jewish character Job, who loses everything, loses all of his possessions. 
experiences the death of all of his children, loses his health so that he is absolutely miserable in body, soul, and spirit. So much so that his wife comes to him and says, you just need to be put out of your misery. Why don't you just curse God and let him kill you? But instead, Job offers a blessing. He says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's thankful even in that circumstance. And I think of the Apostle Paul who sat for quite a while in a Roman prison, which I would imagine is not a pleasant environment. He sat chained night and day to a Roman guard to prevent his escape. And from that Roman cell, he wrote several books of our New Testament. And if you read through those prison epistles, you find repeatedly there is the instruction to be thankful. Be thankful, give thanks, offer your prayers and supplications to the Lord with thanksgiving over and over again. You can't miss it. Those are the, some of the most thankful books in our Bible. The ones that Paul wrote in very difficult circumstances. I think of the words of St. John of Avila, who said, One act of thanksgiving when things go wrong with us is worth a thousand thanks when things are agreeable to our inclinations. And so we develop the discipline. When we're treated unfairly, we give thanks to our God, who is the true and just judge. And when we're facing a financial reversal, we give thanks to our God, who provides food for our table, even in lean times. And when we suffer loss, we give thanks to God, who is the God of all comfort. And even when we stand at the grave of someone that we have loved, we offer up God, we offer, offer up thanks to God who raises the dead and who guaranteed that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So my challenge for you this week is very simple. Let's together practice the spiritual discipline of gratitude. And as we do, I can assure you that this will have three positive impacts on your life. The first is that as you thank God, you will gain proficiency in your native language. Last night, uh, the family and I watched a show about uh, a wealthy, uh, kind of a silly, wealthy old guy from Toronto who decided to secede from Canada and establish his own kingdom. And one of the things about having his own kingdom was that he declared that English was no longer the official language. And instead, the official language was something called soul resol, uh, which is a made up language. And part of the plot was about the difficulty that his subjects had in having to learn a whole new language as their official tongue. Well, I want to suggest to you that that's something like what has happened to us as Christians. We came out of the world, and the language of the world is criticism, sarcasm, put-downs, insult, and you hear that all around you, don't you? But we've come into a new kingdom, and the official language of the new kingdom is thanksgiving. 
It's seen in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, where Paul says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. That's our native tongue. But it's hard for us to speak our native tongue because all around us, people are speaking in another language. Sometimes I wonder how well we've got our native tongue down. I, I have some brothers and sisters in Christ that evidently believe that criticism and sarcasm are their spiritual gifts. And especially if you look online, can you believe what some Christian people post online, especially when they get into political discussions? That's not our language, folks. Our language is thanksgiving, and we need, on every occasion that we possibly can, we need to practice our native tongue until it becomes second nature and we are fluent in it. Amen? Amen. The second thing that happens when we practice thanksgiving is we get a firmer grip on God's grace. Grace and thanksgiving are closely, intimately connected Thanksgiving is a natural response to our receiving grace. And when we receive grace, that naturally issues itself forth in thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 15 says, Grace extends to more and more people so that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, last week in the communion talk, I mentioned that the Greek word for thanksgiving is Eucharist. And Eucharist is a compound word, and one of its components is the word charis. And charis is the Greek word for grace. So included in Thanksgiving is the idea of charis, which is grace. And then as a little side note, uh, there's a word that's derived from charis, which is kara, which means joy. And so in this one word, Eucharist, you have the idea of Thanksgiving, which is based on God's graces, which issues forth in joy. It's, it's a wonderful word packed with all kinds of meaning, all wrapped up together. And grace, which is at the heart of it, grace is truly good news. Uh, in, in my preaching career, I trained my congregation with a response. When I would say, what is grace? They would say back, a gift you don't deserve. That's what grace is. So I'm going to do that with you. What is grace? There, that was close. You were almost together on that. What is grace? It's a gift you don't deserve. So you've been a bad little boy all year and Santa Claus brings you a bicycle for Christmas. That's grace. Okay? That's a gift you don't deserve. You're going 90 miles an hour down I-75 and a policeman pulls you over and lets you go with a verbal warning. That's grace. That's a gift you don't deserve. And, and grace is at the heart of our hope. The problem is that we don't live in a grace-filled world. We live in a world where the common belief is you get what you deserve and you, you work for what you get. And, and so we have a tendency to begin to think when good things happen to us, we begin to think, well, that happened to me because I earned it. I was the one who put in the work and the effort and the smarts and the time. I earned that. I deserve it. And if something bad happens to us, we are quick to assume that must have happened because I did something bad to deserve it. And if we don't say that, other people are quick to point that out. 
It's hard to keep our grip on grace, the idea that our God gives us gifts that we simply don't deserve and can never deserve. And when we lose our grip on grace, then we begin to, to believe that our relationship with God depends on how good we are able to be. And then doubt creeps in, like, have I, have I been good enough? And is he going to accept me? And before long, we are an anxious mess. Well, how do we reestablish our grip on grace? We do it by being thankful. When we're thankful, we reaffirm the reality of grace, and grace becomes very real to us again. The third impact that giving of thanks has on us is that in giving of thanks, we find freedom from negative attitudes. In Philippians 4, 6, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Thankfulness takes the place of anxiety and worry in our minds. It crowds it out. And thankfulness also crowds out and drives away bitterness, envy, resentment, and anger. Nikki and I watch a lot of uh, classic television shows. And the channels that show the classic TV shows, the ads, I'd say about 90% of the ads have to do with medical remedies, remedies for the problems that old people face. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> okay, you've seen that. Either that or uh, uh, call and change your Social Security somehow. That's about it. And there's all kinds of, all kinds of promises of, you know, we can do this to help that, and here's the cure for this. But what would you say if I told you that for real, there is a simple exercise that you can do if you do it daily that will drastically reduce your risk of heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes, and dementia. Would you be interested in that? Could I sell that to you? Well, what if I told you that there are some problems that are more serious than heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes, and dementia? What if I told you that bitterness, envy, resentment, and anger are just as serious to your spiritual life and they may also contribute to many of those physical problems that we have? And as it turns out, there is a simple exercise that we can do on a daily basis that will keep away bitterness, envy, resentment, and anger, and that simple exercise is give thanks. Give thanks. Kenny, if you'd like to go ahead and bring your praise team up. I want to just end by asking, well, what are we going to do about this? And the answer is, well, okay, I'll try to be more thankful. <laughs> but let me suggest that there might be some next steps that you could take. And if you have your camera available, just go ahead and take a picture of the slide here. So you don't have to take notes or write anything down. You just have that, that picture on your phone and then refer back to that every day this week. 
And I'm not saying that I'm, I'm not asking you to do everything on this list all at once. That could be overwhelming. I'm just asking you, like, once a day, pull this out and choose one thing on this list to do to express your gratitude. First thing you can do is, is, is pray one of the Psalms of Thanksgiving. Sometimes we have trouble coming up with appropriate language for thanking God. There are some beautiful psalms of thanksgiving. These are just a few that I've listed here. But choose one of those and just make that your prayer for that day. Thanking God. Another idea, think of someone that, that has done something to benefit you and then either write them or text them or give them a phone call and tell them thank you. And there are bonus points if the person you choose is someone that you currently have a little bit of a strained relationship with. Another thought, post a note of gratitude on social media with all the criticism and and uh, ill will that's out there on social media between people, just post a note that is pure gratitude, something that you are thankful for. Or you might think of the most troubling situation that you're facing in your life right now, and then take some time and prayerfully list three things that you can be thankful for, even in that circumstance. Folks, with a little bit of practice, I think we could get good at this giving thanks in all circumstances. To learn more about Rochester Church of Christ, check out www.rochestercoc.org. There you can find links to other teachings, opportunities to join our family and serve, as well as ways to support our work. It truly is a wonderful time to be the church. I pray that you're blessed. Remember, you are loved and you are chosen.